This is a podcast from Seven Vineyard. My name is Owen. I'm one of the co-lead pastors here, and it's a real pleasure to have you here with us, especially if you're here for the first time. You're so welcome. It's great to have them here with us, isn't it, guys? Yes? Yes. Fantastic. Uh, well, uh, this morning, as uh, Emma's just said, um, Sonny and Maya get married this afternoon, actually, at one o'clock. And so Claire and I are involved in marrying them, which is a real privilege. And so this morning, I thought about wearing my suit to church here, but then I really thought that the rest of you, <laughs> I honestly thought that you, what, you wouldn't be like, what, Owen's wearing a suit, what's going on? This is not a church where the pastor wears a suit. Uh, besides, I have a suit that I bought a few years ago, and it was a slim fit suit. Um, and so I struggled to wear it all day long, let's put it that way. Um, and uh, I'm not good with uh, shirts and collars and things like that either, so... Uh, yeah, so you've got me in my T-shirt and jeans again as normal. Um, now, we've been doing a short series on emotional and spiritual health uh, because um, I don't know if you think it's or would agree with me that it's, um, it's normal to expect a church to want to contribute to your spiritual health, right? Yeah? Yeah, okay, that, that would be a normal expectation. But the question uh, I just want to uh, pause and pose to you is, um, like, should a church be interested in contributing to your emotional health? Or, and to my emotional health. Should a church actually be contributing to that or making its business to contribute to that? And I think the answer to that question is yes and no. Um, no, because there are some complex and persistent emotional needs that we have sometimes in our lives that we cannot just kind of uh, get help, you know, we cannot just kind of deal with just by ourselves or just with the, the kind of general common sense and everyday kind of know-how that we have amongst those people around us. We need the, we need the help of experts, right, to help us. And um, so, for instance, I'm a physiotherapist and there are things that you will need my expertise and training in that you can't do for yourself, right? Yeah, you kind of know that, right? That's why people go and see a physiotherapist, you know, to help them with that. But equally, for many of my clients, there's many things that they know and they do, can do for themselves, that are just common sense. You know, exercise routinely. Maybe do some stretching. Uh, maybe think about your posture. You know, those sorts of things can help mitigate the effects of our environment on our bodies. But nevertheless, they're just common sense. They're everyday things that people might share with you and say, oh, I've tried this, you might try that. And so in that sense... As a church, we can help one another with the common wisdom, the collective wisdom there is within our community and within our families. Um, stuff that people say, oh, you know, I went through that and this helped me. Or just by sharing everyday life with one another, we can help our emotional health and contribute to our emotional health. Um, but of course, there are times where, we need the, 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 where we've got a persistent and complex emotional need that only an expert can help us with, whether it's a counsellor or a psychologist. And um, we as a church, uh, you know, there's a degree to which that we as a church, you know, we can't handle all of that. Um, so we will refer people to counsellors and, and psychologists as, as, is, as is appropriate. Um, so there is, therefore, I would suggest, a role for the church in contributing to our emotional health. And the reason I say that is because I think that our spiritual health will never outpace our emotional health. Have you ever thought about that before? That your spirituality will never outpace your emotional health. And when we look at the, uh, or we just look at the general world, we can see that, right? Because there are some people who might start to, uh, they may be the sort of people that talk about good morality and yet they get found out themselves that their own morality is poor. 
you know, whether that's, whatever that is, a church pastor or a politician. You know, um, back in the 90s, John Major introduced the Back to Basics uh, campaign around about the same sort of time as this current election cycle. And he was widely criticised for doing it because it became about moralism. It became about, um, you know, we, we want to have good family values. And then he found out that half his MPs didn't have good family values. You know, and so you set yourself up to fail, really, there. And the problem is, is that if you, if you try and adopt a spirituality of morality and of good behaviour without having attended to the underpinning emotional health, then all you're going to lead to is hypocrisy. And Jesus points this out with the Pharisees, if you'll be familiar with that story, where he says to them, you're like whitewashed tombs. Inside you're dead. On the outside you look perfect. Like, that's what you get if you attend to your spiritual life without attending to your emotional life. That's my suggestion to you, and you might disagree with me. Um, but um, when we think about our emotional health, um, one of the keys to embracing our emotional health, good emotional health, I think is embracing our limitations. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me here. I'm not talking about the sort of limits that society places on us based on the colour of our skin or our ethnicity or our class or our education or our gender. I'm not talking about those limitations. What I'm talking about is things like personality, season of life, life situation, your physical capacity, your emotional capacity, your intellectual capacity. So on a, on a, you know, on a personal basis, um, I can tell you that uh, for me, I never want to lose my temper, all right? Because I know the effect it has on uh, usually my family, because uh, they're the ones that see it. If I lose my temper, it's usually with my family. And I don't like losing my temper because I see the impact on them. But I'm a sparky personality, okay? And I've, le- I've not yet learned to fully control that. So sometimes I lose my temper because I'm not in control. I'm, not, I'm limited by my ability to control myself. And I need to work harder at that. I need to do more to, to deal with that limitation. But I need to at least, first of all, admit I have that limitation. Um, I would like to live and work in France. Um, it, for me, it's my second country. Um, but, but I'm not disciplined enough uh, to learn French. So I can speak some French, but you know, I'm just rubbish at it, really. And until I overcome that limitation, I am never going to be able to live and work in France, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, uh, I run. I love running. Um, my knee's a little bit sore this morning because I did a 10K last night. I would love to get a, do a 40-minute 10K. I'd really like to do that. Uh, fastest I've done is 45-minute 10K, and that was about two years ago. Uh, at the moment, I can, uh, last night I did a 52-minute run. Okay, now if I am going to overcome that limitation, I've got to embrace that limitation first of all, and I've got to recognise that I need to train in, order, uh, in a specific way in order to overcome that limitation. Um, I find it hard to ask for help, um, uh, partly because I, I'm a positive can-do person. I like to say, yes, let's just do it, and then I throw myself at it. Um, and as my wife will tell you, whenever I attempt a DIY project, there's, not, there's no DIY projects I will not attempt, okay? But there's very few DIY projects that I complete really well, because <laughs> I'm not that good at it, um, and, uh, and I need to ask for help. But I find it hard to ask for help. And I think part of the reason is because I'm a can-do person, but also the other, the other reason is because I'm a bit proud. I'm a bit too proud. I don't want people to think I can't do something. I, I, I like to be seen to be competent and capable. And the reality is, is that that kind of stops me from asking for help, and it's something that I need to do in order to you know, get things done. And I can't dance uh, without my family laughing at me. 
Is anyone else in that position? Yes, yeah, a few guys. Okay, yeah. I know, Dave, that you can dance. No, you can. You can dance a lot better than I can. But I know that I can't dance, even though I insist that I can. And really, if I really wanted to have my family stop laughing at me when I dance, yeah, you the same, Jill. Oh, you're a dance teacher. Can we talk later? Can you show me some moves? <laughs> That'll be great. Because I need to learn to dance. If I want to have my family stop laughing at me when I dance, I mean, I'm laughing because they're, I'm a 50-year-old man, for starters, and that's part of the reason they're laughing at me, you know, my, my children, that is. But, um, you know, if I want to learn how to dance, I've got to overcome that limitation. I've got to go and learn how to do it. Now, what about you? What are your limitations? Are you able to acknowledge them and embrace them? I have a, a rather sad story of someone I know who is struggling at the moment because they have, uh, in the last two years, started to lose control of their body. Uh, they've lost control of their muscles. Uh, their muscles become very tight, um, and as a result, they can't move very well, and they are losing control of their physical ability to do what they did. Now, at the moment, it's, it's horrific. It's, it's, you know, just heartbreaking to, to witness this person having to go through that. But the reality is, is that they're going to have to get used to their new limitations if they're going to have any joy in life because the limitations are being forced upon them. Can that person have joy and contentment in life? Well, I hope so. I really hope so. Because it would just, to, you know, on top of losing that, those abilities, it would just be tragic if that person couldn't have joy and hope and meaning in life. So embracing our limitations allows us to have joy and hope and meaning, and actually, far from limiting us, actually enables us to become fully ourselves. Now, as we do in this church, we like to uh, look at Jesus, we like to look at the Bible to explain some of the stuff that kind of we experience in day-to-day -day life, and there's no better example than Jesus in this situation with regards to limitations. So some of you might struggle with that idea, but Jesus had limits. And he had limitations. And as far as we know, uh, Jesus didn't do any of the miraculous stuff that he's known for until he was 30 years old. He emerged as a peasant uh, carpenter. His dad was a carpenter, so we understand. And he lived and worked for 30 years of his life without doing anything remarkable. Um, it was just a really, really uh, standard upbringing in, in his society. And so Jesus clearly was able to do these miracles from the stories we read from year 30 onwards for the rest of his three years of his life. And so he performed these miracles, and yet he didn't perform them for the first 30 years of his life. What was that about? Why did that happen? Um, when, uh, when Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist, you'll know that he went off by himself for 40 days of solitude and fasting in what... You know, it's typically called the wilderness. It's actually an area of um, a wild country in the middle of what you would know as, as, as Israel. Fairly desolate at the time, no settlements, uh, no infrastructure. And um, he spends 40 days solid in solitude uh, and fasting. And um, we know that in that account of his story, he's hungry after weeks of fasting. And um, he's tempted to turn the rocks into loaves of warm bread. But he doesn't. He's battling with doubts about his calling by God to be Israel's Messiah. And he considers, and this is something that you, know, that you might recognise, he considers like, he says, I know, I'll do something and see if 
I am saved, if I am rescued. So he decides that, you know, he's tempted to consider jumping off a tall building to see if God will send his angels to catch him before he hits the ground. Mindful that the prophets and the scriptures, this is what we read in the accounts of Jesus' life, say that the Messiah must suffer and die before assuming all authority in heaven and on earth, which is what Jesus understood his mission to be. Mindful that he had to suffer, mindful that he had to die, he considers short-circuiting that so he can avoid the suffering and avoid the death and just assume all authority there and then. So we read these kind of stories about Jesus' temptations and actually what's going on here is is that Jesus is recognising that he could break through his limits if he wanted to but is choosing not to. He stays within his human limitations. Now according to the Bible, accepting our limits and accepting our limitations with humility is the key to contentment and the key to having good mental and emotional health. And uh, one of the Jewish origin stories... um, it wasn't one of, the Jewish origin story describing Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, what we see there is their refusal to accept the limitations that, that they have. I mean, it's dressed up in, uh, you know, really amazing language and, and, you know, beautifully descriptive story. But it, the heart of that story is the fact that these human beings didn't want to accept their limitations and it ended up wrecking their relationship with each other and their relationship with God and with the world in which they lived. I mean, that's how I understand it. Another, another account in the Bible, look at John the Baptist. His followers are exasperated that Jesus is drawing in bigger crowds than him because John the Baptist was a, a, a similar public figure. And uh, John the Baptist said this, look, I accept my limits. I accept my humanity and my declining popularity. In John 3.30, um, it says... Speaking of Jesus, John the Baptist is saying this, Jesus must become greater and I must become less. Yeah, there's a man who understood his limits, understood what he was for and understood his part in the story. Uh, But Jesus was exactly the same. I'm just going to read this account to you from Mark 1, and it's a little bit long, so bear with me, it's a nice story. Well, it's a good story to listen to. Um, Mark 1, 21 to 38. Uh, They... By assuming Jesus and the disciples, they went to Capernaum. When, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. That is, the Jewish teachers of the law, the, the kind of the authorities of the land. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Now all the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority, meaning authority to to cast impure spirits out of people. Um, He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. And so soon, and as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, he took her hand, and he helped her up. And the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. 
He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Now, you know, you need to overcome your familiarity with a story like that and ask yourself, what on earth was going on? Don't let the kind of familiarity of that kind of like take away from the power of that story. So Jesus is actually making healing people and healing people of, I mean, goodness knows, that word um, uh, casting demons out of people doesn't, doesn't really kind of sit very well within our culture. So let's just, again, just overlook that a little bit. He was making, making a lot of people better and he was performing a lot of miracles, okay? And it was crazy. It was a crazy, crazy time. And, and you can just imagine in a, in a country with no healthcare system, with very little appreciation of how ill health affects us and how it's caused, there's a man here who's just able to make people better just like that. It's, it's phenomenal. It's just an incredible, incredible experience. So it's been a crazy few days. Jesus has, has gone from being a little-known carpenter's son to being the talk of the town. And amid all of this hullabaloo, and believe me, it sounds like hullabaloo, what does Jesus do? Well, very early the next morning, whilst it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Hey, everyone's looking for you. It's like they're saying to him, Jesus, what are you doing? What are you doing? All these people need you. Like, you, you aren't... You, why have you just gone off walking up a hill when everybody down here needs you? There's so many more people to heal. What's going on? And Jesus says this to me. He says, let us go somewhere else to nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out the demons. What Jesus is really saying to them is, look, I have limits. There are other people that need my help as well. I can't deal with everyone's need. I need to move on to the next town, to the next village. In Luke 24, 44, Jesus says this. Jesus said to his disciples, this is what I told you whilst I was still with you. And listen to this carefully, this statement. Everything must be fulfilled what that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That, is, that phrase, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms is shorthand for all of Jewish history. All of the interaction between the Jews and Yahweh, the Jewish history, everything that was written about the coming Messiah. And if you read through all of those documents, and you'll find most of them in the Old Testament, you'll read this common theme that a Messiah, a saviour, a rescuer would one day come and rescue the Jewish people. And there's a lot written about them. And Jesus thinks to himself and tells his disciples, I've got to fulfil everything that was written about the Messiah in the law of Moses, prophets and Psalms. Believe me, that's a lot. That's a lot of stuff. Jesus had a lot to do if he was going to fulfill everything that was written about him in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. What it seems, according to Luke here, and it's Luke that wrote this, is that the raison d'etre of Jesus was to fulfill everything that was written about the Messiah. And clearly, Jesus decided that to do that, he had to stop doing other stuff in order to do it. So Jesus realised he had limitations. His mission, his calling limited him so that he had to be focused on that. And, and it appears that Jesus fulfilled his purpose because John records this in John 17, verse 4. This is Jesus' words whilst he's hanging on the cross and he says this to 
his Father in heaven, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. By finishing the work you gave me to do. So Jesus, Jesus has limited himself to the task that was in hand and within three years finished it. And in fact, uh, John 19.30, his last words, Jesus reports his last words. Now it could be relating to just his, the, the whole period of torture and death that he's just gone through but his last words were it is finished it's complete Jesus fulfilled all that was written about him in the law of Moses the prophets and the Psalms so Jesus is a perfect example of someone who knows their limits and lives their life to the fullness of those limits and I want to suggest to you that spiritually and emotionally healthy people understand and embrace their limits. There's this old Hasidic Jewish tale that points out uh, the tendency that we all have to want to live someone else's life. Does anyone else feel like that sometimes? You want to be like them. You don't want your life, you want their life. You don't want your success, you want their success. You don't want their, your situation, you want their situation. You don't want your family, you want their family. You want, you want your opportunities, you want their opportunities. And in this Hasidic tale, uh, Rabbi Zuzer says this when he was an old man. In the coming world, he said, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? Because Moses was a hero of the faith for them. They will ask me, why were you not Zuzia? Why were you not yourself? And I think it's, it's just a question to ask ourselves. Like we, we want to be like someone else, but why do not want to be like ourselves? Why do we not want to embrace who we are? You know, it, it, it's always exciting and inspiring to overcome limitations. And, and we shouldn't stop trying to do that. We shouldn't stop trying to uh, overcome the limitations that sometimes life puts upon us. That's an important part of being human beings. But we need to embrace our limitations and acknowledge them before we attempt to overcome them. We need to not pretend that we don't have limitations. And allow me to repeat, I'm not talking here about societal limits like ethnicity, class, education or gender. I'm thinking about things like this. And this is where it really kind of hits home. Our personality. Yeah. Are you introverted or extroverted? You know, how many introverts get frustrated with extroverts? You know? It's like, because the world is extroverted, isn't it? You know, look at social media. It gives us the opportunity to be completely out there with everything that we think and do? Are we spontaneous or orderly? Are you aggressive, assertive or passive? Your personality, my personality, will bring limits to our choices. It doesn't mean we can't break through them, but we have limits. What about the season of life? There's that great phrase in it, the book of Ecclesiastes, and I can't pronounce Ecclesiastes, so that's my pronunciation of Ecclesiastes, uh, it tells us that there's a season for everything in life. So what season are you in? Are you in your early 20s working out what you're going to do with your life? Are you a teenager just navigating all the stresses of, of education and, uh, and, and just growing through that kind of time of transition from being a child to being an adult? Are you parenting children? and constantly tired? Uh, are you, um, are you a, a parent of teenagers? Um, and, um, and just re really rethinking what's life going to be like when your kids leave home. 
Are you, uh, well, are you, are you empty nesters? Are you actually finding life difficult at the moment because you're, you're torn between being with your children and helping them and, and, and trying to help your elderly parents who are in, in need of your assistance? Where are you at in your life? What season of life are you in? That will affect your ability to do stuff. What's your life situation? You may have physical limitations due to ill health and age. Uh, and there's probably nobody in the room that hasn't got something that they know limits their ability to do things that they want to do. You may, be, um, you may be young and inexperienced for a particular job. And, and you, you, you know, you're like, how do I get there? You, you may have financial limitations. In fact, I guess most of us have. Limiting what we can do. You may be single and want to be married. You may be married and want to be single. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, the Apostle Paul considered marriage. I mean, that was part... I mean, I, I could go into detail with Paul because Paul's quite an interesting character. But Paul wasn't married and he thought marriage was actually a limitation. Um, but then Paul actually, at the time he said that, would have considered the, most, the highest priority just proclaiming the gospel of Jesus because he anticipated that Jesus would return in his lifetime. So he was in a different type of consideration there. But nevertheless, life situation affects us. Our physical, emotional and intellectual capacities will limit us. You may, you may find people exhausting and you're replenished by being by yourself. You may struggle to be by yourself and want to be with people all the time. Um, you may not have the intellectual capacity for a certain type of work. We've got limits on what we can do because of the way in which our minds work. You may be limited by scars and wounds from the past. Abuse. Suffering. Grief. Well, many wounds, emotional wounds that we carry that limit us, that affect our ability to function. Now, the reason why I talk about this is just to remind you is because if we are to be spiritually healthy, we first need to be emotionally healthy and our spiritual health will not outpace our emotional health. And I think that makes for a, a person and a community and a family that is deep rather than shallow. And I know, like, from my, my, my own story, that when, as long as I stay in the shallows of life, you know, I miss out on the depths. And, and that my spirituality is only as deep as my emotional depth. And that means, for me, that's been a journey of uh, discovery as I've learned to be honest with myself about my limitations, about the things that I have run from. You see, the thing is, is that I'm kind of scared of my limitations. Are you scared of your limitations? Because I don't want those limitations to stop me from achieving all that I want to achieve in life. I don't want those limitations to stop me being the person that I want to be in life. But the reality is, is that when we embrace our limitations, actually we start to discover what we are for. And, 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 and the example of Jesus demonstrates to us uh, something that we already know from watching other people. But when we embrace our limitations, we actually start to discover more who we are and what we're for. And that brings an incredible sense of contentment and humility. And that is deep spirituality. That's the sort of spirituality 
that you can only get from attending to your emotional health. So the gospel of Jesus transforms, offers to transform fundamentally, first and foremost, as emotional health. Not spiritual practice, not even moral behaviour, but our emotional health. The good news of Jesus is that we can be transformed in our deepest being. And all of us kind of know that's the place where we need to start, right? That's the place where we need to start. And we are a... I mean, one of our cultures as a church is this culture of attending to our emotional health, whether that's through relationship with one another, whether that's through doing things like courses and um, uh, events like Emmanuel Prayer. Everything we do is focused on trying to promote our emotional health because we know that our spiritual health will follow if we're emotionally healthy. And this is the gospel of Jesus. So, for our contemplation this morning, I just want to invite you to reflect on your limitations. And... Um, uh, have you got a phone? You want to take your phone out? Some of you are already on your phones anyway. I understand. That's fine. <laughs> I would have been on my phone about 10 minutes ago as well. That's fine. Hopefully, um, I've not gone on too long. But pull your phone out and pull up a, the Note app, whichever phone you've got. And if you haven't got a phone, then you're going to... Maybe a, a notepad. And I'm going to ask you some questions. What limits you? I'm going to give you about five minutes just to do this. What limits you? What stops you being the person that you think you are? How does your personality limit your choices? How does your season of life limit your choices? How does your past limit you? How does your emotional capacity limit you? How does your physical capacity limit you? How does your intellectual capacity limit you? What are your limitations? This will be a bit of a painful experience. I, I promise you, this is not going to be an enjoyable experience. Again? They're all gone on the screen. So Bern will roll through them. What we're going to do is, um, this will be on our uh, homepage, uh, not our homepage, rather, um, our YouTube account. Of, is that right? Am I? I'm losing track of myself. We have a YouTube account. Go to that and you can, uh, you can follow these. <laughs> Uh, afterwards. But now we're going to take a few minutes to do this. Ben's going to put a bit of music on, quiet music, and it just take three or four minutes just to start to ask those questions of yourself. What limits you? And then once you've done that, you might want to pray for the courage to share those limitations with someone you know, I'd love. Someone you trust. Now you don't have to do this, I know you don't, but if you want to kick on with your emotional health, this might be a good place to start. If you want to kick on in your relationship with Jesus, this would be a good place to start. If you want to become emotionally and spiritually mature, this would be a good place to start. So once you've written some of these things down, if you've got a journal and you journal at home, carry on the conversation and ask the Holy Spirit just to give you the courage to embrace your limitations. And as, a, as an act, as something practical, because I can tell you, it's... It's one thing to write things down to you and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll want to burn the piece of paper afterwards, maybe, I don't know. But it's one thing to write them down on a piece of paper, it's another thing to tell someone else about them. But the real power comes when you do share it with someone you love and trust. And then you hear them say, oh, that's really, really lovely. Yeah, you are limited in that way. <laughs> and if you're married, you'll, exp you'll know why your wife is willing to say that to you. 
Um, and it's, you know, I mean, it's humbling and crushing at the same time. But nevertheless, you know it's a place of health. Let's not pretend. Let's not try and kid ourselves. Let's embrace, acknowledge and embrace our limitations. And from that place, we can move forwards together. So I'm going to play some quiet music. I'm going to disappear off to Sonny Meyer's wedding. Chris is going to wrap up in about three minutes' time. So take this moment. This is a period of contemplation. It's what we do as a church. <laughs>